I would like to say that um, I became a Christian when I was eight, baptized when I was 12, and preached my first sermon when I was 14. But I haven't got any better, so don't expect a great deal, will you? I remember the, the first sermon I preached was about um, the Good Shepherd lose, you know, and the lost sheep. And I'm sure that in that congregation of people, they must have heard that message hundreds of times. And yet, as a young boy, I was still encouraged to preach, and they encouraged me by listening. And uh, it's wonderful. And I just want to, again, emphasize the importance of encouraging our young people and doing what we can for them and being the, the example that they need. Don't put them off. Encourage them. If they want to do something for the Lord in this place, then we need to encourage them to do it and make them part of it. And that's why for the Holiday Club, I'm always excited when I see the young people being part of it. Not get, just getting the adults and the old fuddy-duddies like me doing it, but um, you know the young people actually taking part in it as an example to the children. I think that's great, and we need to encourage that. I suppose, in a way, I'm a bit of an old-fashioned preacher. You know, I like the simple things in the Bible. I always believe that when Jesus stood up to preach, everybody understood what he said, whether they were a child or whether they were an adult. Everybody understood it. And I, I like to hear a message that, that uh, I can understand completely. And I think this one you will be able to understand completely. I'm going to speak about um, this miracle that we read together in 2 Kings chapter 4, the miracle of the abundant oil. But before we look at it, I just want to explain that the Bible is full of miracles. We sometimes think that miracles only happened when Jesus was walking the earth, but miracles were there from the beginning. The creation of the world in itself was a miracle. God breathing breath into the lungs of Adam was a miracle. Right through to the ascension of Jesus and the raising of the lame man at Gate Beautiful, a miracle. The Bible is full of miracles. But the miracles were, were made up of four groups. And they were all there to bring glory to God. The first group were miracles which redeemed God's people from Egypt under Joshua and Moses. For instance, the plagues, they were miracles. Um, when, Jesus, when God led the, the Israelites through the Red Sea and it parted, it was a miracle. When God brought down manna from heaven and the rock was touched and water flew from it, came from it, it was a miracle. The second group were miracles against heathenism for, during Elijah and Elisha's time. That's what we're looking at today, the provision of oil to the widow. Um, and if we continue to read on, we see the healing of the Shumanites, woman's son. The third group was through Daniel to show God's power. For instance, the den of lions and the fiery furnace. And then the last group were the introduction to Christianity with the miracles of our Lord Jesus Christ, followed by the miracles of the apostles. A miracle is something which reveals the power and works of God in signs and wonders. A miracle is performed for one main purpose, and that is to show God's redemption plan, whether to an individual or to the world. 
How often do you hear it said, maybe at work or amongst your family, about something which has happened to them, and they say, it was a miracle. It was a miracle. Miracles are always associated with something good, aren't they? We don't say, it was a miracle that that brick landed on my foot. We say that it was a miracle that it missed. A miracle is something which is good. And we mustn't use the word miracle, the word miracle, too loosely. When Lazarus was raised from the dead, it was, uh, it was done to glorify God. Jesus said that. You remember Legion, who was amongst the tombs, who was released from the demons that possessed him by Jesus. When he was free from the demons, Jesus said, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. But perhaps the best example of a miracle being linked to redemption is this one. In Luke 5 verse 17, the healing of the paralytic. You remember the man who was lowered through the roof because they couldn't get through the door. And uh, he was lowered to Jesus' feet and there he lay. And uh, Jesus was criticized by the scribes and the Pharisees there. And Jesus' reply to them was this. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? So then, if all miracles relate to the redemption of men, what message is there this morning in the story that we read together? Well, first of all, we see that God's prophet Elisha was not only concerned about those in authority, but those who were classed as ordinary people. Just as God is not just concerned about countries and governments, he's also interested in you this morning, and he's interested in me as individual people. If we continue to read chapter 4, we'll see how Elisha was used by God to bring back life to the Shumanite's son. And further on, how Elisha fed a hundred people on a few loaves of bread. These miracles are a forerunner of the miracles that Jesus himself would perform. The miracles that Jesus and Elisha did were intended to enrich the lives of those who were touched by it and also to demonstrate the love of God rather than show his justice and his wrath. This miracle, just like the others by Elisha, was not done for show, but they were performed in the secret place, where only those who were involved in it actually saw the outcome of it. Here we have a poor widow. She was a widow of a prophet. The Bible tells us that she had two sons, But the problem is that they were in debt to the landlord and to anybody else that they owe money to. They were in debt. Now, let's make sure here that we don't um, misunderstand what this debt was. Because debt, by most people today, is because of our lavish lifestyle. We want this, we want that, and we can get it quite easily. But it wasn't the case for this woman. She was in debt because of persecution. Her husband was a prophet. They were in need. And they relied on God's people to help them. 
There's a message there somewhere, isn't there? There's a message there, which I won't go into today. But we need to be people who are willing to help those who are in need. And I think as a church, we are good at helping those who are in need. I, I appreciate the emails that I get asking for prayer requests. And I appreciate what is being done on the mission field by the church here. And I think it's great that a lot of our, some of our folks are going to Ecuador and serve God there. It's great. We need to be a caring people who care for those who need help. But are we that type of person, I wonder? Elisha knew that the best way to help someone who was poor was to help them into a way of improving what little they already had. And that's actually quite a good message for me because I sometimes struggle with knowing what's best. You know, working in Uganda, how do we help these people who are poor? You can't get them out of that situation. They're always going to be in need, but how do you make things better for them? Elisha said, he asked two questions of the woman. The first one is, he says, how can I help you? How can I help you? And the second one was, what do you have in your house? How can I help you? What do you have in your house? And I'm bringing that, that, those questions to you this morning. Because you might be in need of something today. You might be in need of a miracle from God, whether a small one or a big one. You might be in need. And God asks the same question of you as the widow was asked by Elisha. He says, how can I help you? Which means that, first of all, you've got to get on your knees and tell him. That's no good just expecting him to know, although he does. He wants to hear your voice proclaiming what you need. Ask him. Don't just expect it. You know, when I needed something for my dad, I'd go and ask him. He wouldn't come to me and say, do you need a bike? I would go and ask him, I want a bike. We must be the same. We need to go to God and we need to ask him, Lord, this is what I need. This is what I need. And the second thing is there has to be something in our house already for God to build on. In the widow's case, it was the oil. It wasn't much oil. It was a small jar with a little bit of oil in it. In our case, it may not be something physical that we need or something that we can see. It might just be that our faith is very small. How much do you love me? Jesus said to Peter. How strong is your belief? I believe he's asking us that question this morning. How much? How much do you love me? Is it enough just coming to church on a Sunday morning? Do God require more for us than that? More for, from us than that? How much do you love me? Is it worth speaking to your neighbor tomorrow? Is it worth speaking to somebody amongst our family tomorrow? Or is it not worth it at all? How much do you love me? How strong is your belief? I love the story in Matthew chapter 9 where the blind men came to Jesus. Matthew 9 verse 27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, 
son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind man came to him and he asked him, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? What a question. You see, you might well be there asking, but do you believe that God can actually fulfill what your need is? That's the big question. The blind man said, yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes and he said, according to your faith, will it be done to you? And their sight was restored. Isn't that beautiful? According to your faith, it will be done to you. Before God can do a miracle in your life this morning, there has to be something in our house to offer him. The widow, she took the small jar of oil that she had. It says small. And then she went and she borrowed empty jars from others for filling. Don't be afraid to ask other people for help. I've already said this morning that we are a loving Christian family. We must care for one another. Don't be afraid to go to somebody for help. That's what she did. She was told to do it, and I'm telling you. We need to be a loving Christian family who care for one another. And if I've got something that you need, then I should be willing to share it. If you've got something that I need, then you must be willing to share it. We need to come together as God's people. And the widow did that. She went to her neighbors and she asked for help. Now the neighbors must have thought, what a stupid woman. She's asking for empty jars. She's asking for empty jars. Why is she asking for empty ones when she needs full ones? Why is she not asking for the oil? Why is she asking for empty jars? And she must have seemed foolish to some of these people. She needs oil. But our jars are empty. You know, Lorna and myself, we're often on the receiving end of people's problems, especially abroad. Quite often it's only for a chat on the phone or it's even by texting now. Just an ear to listen. And we'll often say to each other afterwards, you know, we don't feel that we've done anything to help. But being an empty jar is still a jar and useful to the person who needs it. God needs empty jars this morning. He needs empty jars. Now, there are two ways to see if a jar is empty or to recognize if a jar is empty, as I can found out. One is to see how heavy it is. Does it contain anything? You know, if you gave a blind man a pint of milk in this hand and an empty pint of milk in that hand, would he know which one was full? Yes, he would. He would know which one was full. He would know by the weight which one had the milk in it. And the second one is to be able to see the contents. The glass needs to be clear. The glass needs to be transparent. To be a useful Christian this morning, we need to lose weight. I'm not looking at anybody in particular. I'm not speaking about Weight Watchers. I'm speaking about all the rubbish things that we carry around with us that are completely unnecessary. And they get in the way 
of us being a useful Christian and serving the Lord well. We may be constantly worried about something, something that goes way back. Even before we were a Christian, perhaps we'd done something and we worry about it. Perhaps we've never forgiven somebody who's wronged us in the past. Perhaps, dare I say it, we have even broken the law and never been caught out. The one thing that the devil is good at is helping us to remember these things. I just want to point out that the devil has no clue what's in the future. He only knows what's in the past. That's why somebody can sit before a fortune teller and say, Oh, wonderful. They knew all about me. Well, of course they did. The devil knows all about you. But he doesn't know what your future holds. Only God knows that. And the devil will use that information that he already knows about us and he uses it to his advantage. If he can get us to dwell on these negative things in our life, our Christian life will have very little effect on other people. We're weighing too much and we need to get rid of these things. The Bible says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will. You have to look at all the words when you read the Bible. Cast all your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. That means he will keep you going. He will keep you standing. He will keep you vibrant as a Christian. And David goes on to say in that verse, in Psalm 55 verse 22, he says, he will never let the righteous fall. He will never let the righteous fall. Don't think because you are worried about this, if I give it to the Lord, am I going to be any use? Is it going to come back? God will never let you fall. Give it to him and he will never let you fall. To be a Christian, we not only need to lose weight, but we also need to be see-through. You know, you can never be sure what's, what's in a colored bottle, can you? You can't be sure what's in a brown bottle or a blue bottle, whether it's, a, uh, whether it's poison or whether it's medicine. But the contents of a clear bottle is visible to everybody. We need to be clear bottles, clear jars. We need to be transparent to people and to the world. Now, I'm going to tell you about my, my dad. My father is 96 this year, so he's getting on a bit. Uh, but he's one of the most wonderful Christian men I've ever met in my life. And um, he's, he's always been an inspiration to me. And he tells me lots of things of what's happened to him in his past, how God has helped him and seen him through. And this is one that I remember because I was 14 at the time. So I do actually remember this happening to my dad. We, we moved house. He was a farm worker. And he used to work for a Christian farmer. And then, why he left, I don't know. He went to, to work for this, this farmer who was not a Christian. Um, he was an atheist. Um, and he was a very, very, uh, well, I wouldn't say a bad man, but uh, a very difficult man to get on with. He had to have things done his way. 
And uh, I'll tell you something about him which made me laugh. Um, he used to be a man who was very superstitious. You know, uh, as a farmer, he was never allowed to start cutting the field of corn on a Monday. Um, he had to start on a Friday. And so when the, when the harvest started, he was out with the combine and he touched on every field that he had on the Friday, even if it was one strip, so that he didn't start a new field on a Monday. He was so superstitious. And uh, one day, he was, uh, uh, his wife came to him. He was sitting down watching the television. His wife came to him and she said, Darling, she said, you must come and have a look out the window. She says, that the moon is beautiful tonight. It's a full moon. Come and see it. And he says, don't be stupid, woman. He says, I can't look at the moon, a new moon through glass. He says, um, I'll come outside and have a look. So he went outside and had a look and looked up and then suddenly realized he had his glasses on. So he was a very angry man from that hour. And he was, he was a man who wouldn't allow any, any foolishness amongst his men either. They had to work hard. The first day that dad started there, the foreman came to him and he says, Sid, he says, I need you to work on Sunday. We're very busy this week. And the boss has asked if I can get all the men in to work on Sunday. My dad said, I'm sorry. He said, I can't work on a Sunday. He said, I'm a Christian. I go to church on Sunday. I, I run a Bible class in the afternoon. I have to be at church on Sunday. That's what I do. I worship God on Sunday. And the foreman said, well, I'm going to have to tell the boss, and he's not going to be very happy about this. Now, for Dad to, to stand up for that was quite a thing because I'm one of seven children, and we were all at home, and the only income was his. So you know how difficult it must have been for him to stand up and say that, but, but he did. And the other workman says, look, <laughs> the boss is not going to allow it. You're going to have to work on Sunday, or he'll send you. And Dad says, no, I, said, I, I can't work on a Sunday. And the next day, the boss came to see Dad. And uh, he said, Sid, I, I understand that you're refusing to work on Sunday. So Dad said, yeah. He says, uh, I'm sorry. He says, I'm a Christian. I go to church on Sunday. I take my children to church on Sunday. We all go as a family. Um, I run the, the Bible class. He says, I need to be there on Sunday to worship God. That's what I do. And he looked at Dad and he says, I wish there were others who had principles like you and, and, were willing to excuse me, and were willing to stand up for what they believe. He says, you don't have to work on Sundays, ever. You can go to church. Dad was being clear. He was being transparent. There's an old chorus which we used to sing. We don't sing it anymore which is a shame because the words are lovely. It says this, Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me, all his wonderful passion and purity. O oh, thou spirit divine, all my nature refine, till the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. An ear that listens is perhaps all that is required for a miracle to happen. I'm going to tell you another little story now. Um, it's about somebody who used to be in uh, my previous church. Her name was Margaret. Um, sadly, she's passed away now. But Margaret had quite a hard life. She brought up two boys 
more or less on her own because um, her husband was a sea captain who was away in Indonesia for most of the year and came back for maybe for a month and then went back. And so she struggled to bring up these two boys. They were both in my Bible class when I was at, at that church. But as time went on, the boys fell out and over stupid things and um, they stopped speaking to one another. Um, her husband retired and soon after retirement got Alzheimer's and sadly he passed away. And, and then Margaret developed diabetes and she lost a toe. And she was, you know, she was a really needy woman and she needed somebody to go there regularly to see her. And I remember going there and knocking on the door, and when she opened the door, her face fell. And she looked stressed out. Not because it was me, I'm, I know you're thinking about that. Not because it was me, but because she was full of stuff that she needed uh, to get off her chest. She wanted to tell somebody what was worrying her. And, you know, I was there for two hours. And for two hours, I think the only thing I said was, will I put the kettle on? I listened and I listened and I listened. And when I came out of that place, I was up to here with her problems and her anxieties. But when I saw her, when I said bye, she'd give me a hug and a kiss. And she said, thank you, Kevin, you've been such a great help. And I thought, well, I've done nothing. I've done nothing. All I was was an empty bottle that somebody needed at that time. If we get back to the story now of this woman, because I've digressed a bit, she was on her own. She was not on her own in, in making the decision about the miracle and being involved in the miracle. Her sons were there. The Bible tells us that one son collected the empty jars while the other stored the full ones. The sons who she thought were going to be lost into slavery suddenly became the help that she needed. Sometimes the very thing that we're afraid of losing becomes a thing which saves us. When we think of the death of Jesus, these, these disciples were distraught. Their life was turned upside down. They, their hope was gone because Jesus was dead. And then suddenly when Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to them, life became positive again. Their friend had now become their saviour. He's not dead, he's alive. The problems we may have this morning may seem enormous and even praying for them uh, may seem helpless and useless. But our God, he can turn anything around this morning. Our God can change something which is lost into something which is found. He can turn something which is dark into something light. He can turn something dead into something which is very much alive. The miracle of the filling of the jars with oil was only witnessed by the widow and her sons. And as God fill your jars, you may be the only one who witnesses grace and his provision. Sometimes God will perform a miracle that many will see. For instance, the feeding of the 5,000. They all saw it. But in most cases, it will be for the individual only. In the secret of her home, the widow in faith started to pour the oil from her small jar into all the others until everyone was full. Can you imagine 
taking that small jar, which only had a little bit of oil in it, seeing all those jars lined up on the floor and thinking, am I really going to do this? Am I really going to bother? But without question, she took the jar and she started to pour into the other jars until everyone was full. When God provides for our needs, it's not just a little amount that's going to soon run out. The more we trust him, the more we receive from him. Elisha says to the woman, see, she says, your, your jars are full. Pay your debts and live on the rest. When God does a miracle in our life, we get so much more than we ever experienced or expected. Paul said, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine, according to his power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Yes, God will deal with the problem and his grace will go on to provide for the future. He will not let us down. So I suppose my question to you this morning is this. What do you have in your house this morning? What do you have to offer God? God wants to use you to bring glory to his name. What are you going to what empty jar are you going to be for God this morning? You may feel like a, an empty jar already that needs to be full. Paul said this about Jesus in Ephesians 1, verse 22. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. The fullness of him, listen to this, who fills everything in every way. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Whatever shape your problem is, whatever condition it's in, whatever form it is, and whoever is affected by it, Jesus can and he will fill the empty jar. There's an old chorus which we used to sing together. I don't know if you know it. It says this, expect a miracle every day. Expect a miracle when you pray. If you expect it, God will find a way to perform a miracle for you each day. God says to you this morning, how can I help you? What do you have in your house? Amen. May the Lord bless that thought to our hearts this morning. And may we be empty bottles for the Lord and full of his blessings. We're going to sing a lovely hymn now about how great our God is. How great thou art. <laughs>